Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Tiffany, living in Rome, Katie in Seattle. And this is a show, I would say, about exploring life abroad and exploring life at home. And sometimes, like what we're going to be exploring today, exploring the life that's right outside your window. And what we're doing today is we're going to kind of give you what? The anatomy of a picture that you've probably seen. Uh, It's a picture that's been seen all over the world. And some of you listening have just seen this picture in recent weeks, probably on Instagram or on TikTok. But it's not a new picture. It's actually an old picture. Let's see. Let me describe the photo. It is three rows of objects. They're very carefully laid out and they're on a purple background. And these objects are not just any old objects. These are gifts that have been delivered to an eight-year-old girl from a friend, but her friend is not a human friend. Her friend is a crow friend, a living crow. And these are the depiction, this picture is of all the shiny various objects that this crow has dropped off for this little girl who feeds them regularly. If you've never seen this picture before, just Google right now, just Google crow gifts girl and you will see this picture. It's one of the first things that pops up. It's on, it's the one on the purple background. I first took that picture. That's the interesting thing. This picture has been seen all over the world, but this picture comes from this particular show. I first took this picture back in 2015. So nine years ago now. And I was the person that laid the gifts out in that order. So today we decided that we were going to give you a little behind the scenes look at how that picture came to be and how the world first learned about eight-year-old Gabby Mann, the girl who gets gifts from crows. And of course, like I mentioned, the reason we're bringing this up is because so many people, the interesting thing about this picture and this story is that it tends to go viral every two to three years ever since we put it Mm -hmm. out. (laughs) And I think we're on a like three year cycle maybe. And so here it is again, back in the world, uh, surprising and delighting people. And I think what's interesting about it is that there is something that is so magical about this story. I mean, what's not to love about a little girl and a bird who not only care about each other, that but they give each other things. Like they, she gives crows food and they bring her objects. There's something very lovely about it. And we can dig into like more of what's lovely about it as we go along. How did you encounter this little girl? Was she someone in your life already? No, she was not. So I was interviewing a scientist named John Marsliff, who's kind of considered one of the main crow experts around, especially around uh, this area in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, where I live, we have a lot of crows here. And I know that crows are not universal. They're not like everywhere in the world. Everybody has crows, but there are a lot of them here. And he studies crows. And he was the scientist that actually first did all the studies that you've probably heard about too, that are about crows and facial recognition. He was the one that sort of discovered that a crow can identify a person by what they look like. And he did that by putting on a caveman mask and then (laughs) tagging crows. So he was basically capturing crows, pinning them down and putting a tag on them. And he would only do it in this caveman mask. And then he realized that if he was wearing the (laughs) caveman mask, the crows uh, would be like shunning him and making calls at him. And if he was not wearing the mask, then they were just acting normal and quiet. So they knew that this caveman was a 
threat and that they were teaching different generations that it was a threat. So that was the, one of the studies he was the most famous for. And I was interviewing him actually about something else. Uh, I was interviewing him about crow funerals and this ongoing question about whether or not, yeah, whether or not crows actively mourn the dead from their family. And we were talking about that. And I don't know how we got onto the topic of Gatby, but he mentioned to me that he knew a little girl that had been given a whole bunch of gifts by a crow. And of course, for me, it was just a matter of curiosity. I didn't have a plan for why I would meet this girl, what I would do in the interview with her. I had been interviewing him about crow funerals for a different podcast that never was finished being made. But I was just curious, and I said, I want to see these gifts. Like, I want to know what a crow gives a little girl. So he put me in touch with her mother, and they invited me over to interview her and to see these gifts in person. So that's how I end up meeting her. Wow. And she was kind of, I mean, even for an eight-year-old, she was a very scientific-oriented little girl, very interested in nature, very interested in science, and like a true budding scientist. She had each of these little gifts in like a plastic container that was full of a whole bunch of different little compartments. And each gift was inside of a plastic bag labeled with the date that the gift was dropped off, the time that they found it, and what, wow. it, and what it was, I think. And then she had certain ones that were labeled like first favorite, second favorite, third favorite, fourth favorite, like the gifts that she personally loved the most of what they had given her. Because all the gifts were not created equal, <laughs> Tiffany. Like some were, one of is like, not. if you look closely at the picture, one is the base of a broken light bulb, you know, like the gold part that would be the base mm, of a broken metal light part. Bulb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So not as charming. Another thing she gets is a little white heart like a little jewel heart. And of course, as a little girl, like what's mm-hmm. more precious than getting a heart from a crow? I mean, it's just a absolutely a adorable. crow. That is so sweet. <laughs> no. Well, I think I think it is worth mentioning because not everybody probably listening knows that crows love shiny objects. Like some that's do. their that's what they're attracted to. Some not all? Not all. Some do. Some do. And magpies are also like notoriously known for liking shiny objects. But no, this is the interesting thing if we really get into like the question of how do you get a gift from a crow? Because I think when people hear this story, they're always like, How do I get that? <laughs> how do I have a crow that's bringing me stuff? Yeah. Another thing I've learned from these scientists is that not all crows give gifts. So for one, you'd have to consistently feed a crow I mean you have to be consistent about it too you have to make a two-way communication for this to work right so you have Mm -hmm. to like consistently Mm -hmm. be feeding the crows but you also have to be lucky enough to have a crow in your group that likes to give gifts and not all of them do gift giving behavior from what I understand is something that they might also do in a courtship thing if they were trying to court another crow and so Mm-hmm. Not all of them are attracted to shiny objects. Some of them might bring you gifts, but they might be more along the lines of a dead bird that you might want to eat because mm-hmm. that's also so warm. Yeah, it's a good gift. <laughs> that's a a good gift for a crow to give to another crow is like, look at this dead baby bird I found. Don't you want to eat this? And you might have a crow that brings you <laughs> pieces of bone and stuff like stuff that you don't actually want, you know? So you also have to be lucky enough to have a crow that likes shiny objects. It's not a given. So yeah. it's, it's a numbers game. 
It's a numbers game. Um, yeah. No, I'm. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about Aurelio because Aurelio, my little boy, he he was born the year that uh, that picture was taken. Oh um, wow, he is eight years old right now, and we also have crows in Rome. Probably not as many, um, but we definitely have them because I hear them and I and I occasionally see them, even in our neighborhood. But they don't come like we live in an apartment building with a big balcony, but it's not the same as having like an independent home that has a garden in the front. So I'm like, where would we go to feed these crows Mm -hmm. that they would be able, if it were to work out, if they wanted to give us gifts, where would they bring them? They wouldn't know where we lived. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit more difficult in our circumstance because this would be, this is totally right up Aurelio's alley. He's a lover of small creatures. He just loves small animals, insects, anything. Like he, he'll go out and like find the little snails that are crossing the sidewalk and he'll move them because he's like, you're going to get crushed. And so he'll move them, you know. So he's always looking out for little animals and trying to save them and trying to help them out. Um, and, you know, whenever we make pancakes, you know, there's always a couple of drips on the pan. And, you know, he's like, "Those we got to leave those out for the birds because uh-huh. those are pancakes for birds. Uh-huh. And we always leave them out, but we don't always get a return on our investment. Which well, doesn't have to be gifts. It could even be like seeing the birds coming to eat the stuff would be honestly enough, but but just don't seem to fly by enough, I guess. Yes, I think it would be, I mean, I think everybody loves the idea of this because it would be fun to receive mm-hmm. gifts from a wild creature. But I mean, I don't know that the approach to life is like getting the creatures to do stuff for us. But I get what you're saying about like even just seeing them right now as we're recording, we're in a bit of a cold snap here in Seattle. And so everything outside is completely frozen. So I went outside and chipped away at the frozen bird bath and like put some actual water in there. And then a few minutes later, I walked past and there was already a squirrel at the water drinking the water. And there is something rewarding about feeling like, oh, look at me. I just gave that squirrel some water. <laughs> and he actually needed water. You know, yeah. that kind of delight of like back and forth interaction with animals and birds and creatures that we don't feel like we actually necessarily get. I mean, what do we feel like living in cities and is often that we see them in passing, that maybe they're afraid of us. I like Aurelio also am very interested in tiny creatures. And I I think that another thing that I love about this story, two things that I love about the fact that it goes viral over and over and over again, is that one, I think that it has a wonder quality to it that makes people hopeful. And usually if there's not ever any negative comments about it below, it's all like, oh, wow, or holy moly, like how amazing, (laughs) or this should be a kid's book, or how do I get this to happen to me? You know, it's all just like, wow, how can this be? It's amazing. So I love that it's like such a positive ongoing energy, but I also love that it's kind of a story about caring for the world and the act, like of what Aurelio's doing, like the act of noticing that there are all these little creatures and how noticing them can actually make us feel more renewed about the state of things, that there mm-hmm. is kind of a magic to uh, the fact that we all share this planet together. Maybe that's me pontificating, but I mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do feel like that's... No, I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that's why it resonates with so many people because we all, most of us, I would say, I would say we all, but maybe not every single person, but most people, I think, uh, whether they're 
you know, self-described nature lovers or not, they nevertheless have some kind of an appreciation for the small creatures of this planet. And I don't know, I think it depends on the person, of course, because there are certain people who are activists and who are like, it's their life's work. And there are other people who just, you know, don't really maybe think about it. But I think if, if we all had the opportunity that we would all treasure that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also because we're we're so we hear so much about global warming for one, but also number two, that we are also trained to be very adversarial against other living creatures in many cases. You know, kill the rats, kill the pigeons, rid the garden of the pests. It's kind of nice to hear a story that's not adversarial. That it's like, well, what if we just sort of gave to each other? I mean, some people are terrified of crows. Yeah. You know, because they are an extremely intelligent creature and they are a creature that uh, here in the Pacific Northwest, if it's uh, the time when their babies are on the ground, they will swoop right at your head. So people are sometimes afraid of them. So it's also nice to go, well, whether or not we're afraid of one another, we can still also have this kind of wonderful kumbaya relationship with one another. It's kind of wondrous. I want to answer a basic question that when we uh, went viral on Instagram was one of the number one thing people kept asking over and over and over again is what should I feed these crows? And I've actually asked the scientists about this. And the number one thing that they suggest is feeding them peanuts that are in the shell. Okay. And here's the other secret. The crows that you're seeing are probably the same crows you're seeing every day. Like it's not like new crows all the time. It's the same guys. They live like they might not live right next to your house, but they're working your territory pretty much every day that's what what i was going to ask because i was curious like do we know in gabby's case if it's the same crow that brings her gifts or are there several crows bringing her gifts well we don't ever find that out no we don't actually know because she had a lot of crows she lived um kind of above a waterway and near a green belt and they were pretty ritual about feeding the crows and so word got out and crows would kind of come Mm -hmm. in at the time when the feeding was going to be happening. And so there were quite a few crows. Like it would have been hard to pick out an individual. Like around my house, there's usually only two to four. I'm not feeding an abundance of crows at a ritual time. So right now I see about two to four crows around my house any given day. And most likely they're the same grouping. It's like they're the same couples basically Mm because they couple up. Okay. (laughs) Um, So why peanuts in the shell? So peanuts in the shell because if you were doing it on a ritual basis, one, it's good protein for them. Like it's like gives them a lot of energy to eat a peanut, but also it makes a sound when it hits the ground. So if you threw peanuts on the shell onto your back deck, it makes a clack sound. And that clack sound that they can hear and they're like, oh, that's the sign that there's a snack out for me. Mm. So they can also be kind of trained to come to the sound of the peanuts hitting the ground. Another thing that Gabby fed her crows a lot were cashews. And they seem to really, really like cashews too. So maybe like any kind of nut. Cashews are delicious. I know. (laughs) They're amazingly good. They are amazingly good. And I would argue better than peanuts in the shell. Interestingly, Katie, I don't know if you know this, but both cashews and peanuts are not nuts. They're both legumes. Oh, well, very nice. So there you go. I did not know know that. That makes a difference. But okay, (laughs) is there a time of day that we need to be feeding these crows? Uh, I don't know that, but I would guess that it's like more about being predictable than anything else. And I do think that most creatures eat 
in the morning and like right before they go to bed more than they're eating at noon generally speaking but i don't actually know if yes. there's like a prime time i think as long as you're just doing it kind of ritualistically so they know what to predict they'll start like showing up more but again like it doesn't necessarily mean oh, you're I- gonna get any gifts true no i know i know but just just to have like you said for me the interaction is enough like i would like to see a bird eating the bird pancakes that we make i do take a walk almost every morning not with aurelio but uh, I take a walk in my neighborhood, in sort of the green areas of my neighborhood, almost every morning. And I'm not going to bring any peanuts with me tomorrow because I don't have any. But I will. I'm going to look. I'm going to look out and see how many crows I see. Mm-hmm. And if I see more than one or two, I might go get some peanuts. And even just feeding them on my walk, dropping them on the path when I see them, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Why not? Yeah. And you guys have. A lot yeah. of pigeons in Rome, too, if you really want to get exciting. You could uh, throw down some bird seed in an, into a flock of pigeons <laughs> and you'll be the most popular woman I around. I don't want pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to talk a little bit before we're out of time about how this story entered the world and what happened to it when it first arrived. So like I told you, I didn't necessarily, yeah. I did this interview with her. I wanted the because I told you the the gifts were all like wrapped up in different plastic bags and she was showing them to me and I really wanted to like get a picture of what everything was like to really be able to see it with more time than I had just hanging out at her house so I asked her if I could borrow them for a night and she bravely let me do it and I told her I promised her wow. I would keep them in order. Like I would make sure that all the things ended up in the right bag coming back. How and in the world did you do that? I just made notations. You know, I don't know. Just track okay. what object came out of what bag, <laughs> basically, okay. you know. And then I took it to my house and I laid it out. Really spent a lot of time trying to figure out like what layout made it so that you could see everything pretty clearly. But also that it looked relatively artistic. So I spent a lot of time figuring out like what order everything should be laying in. And then I tried to take the picture, but we didn't have like the kinds of phones we have now. So if you really look at the picture, you could tell it's been taken a number of years ago because it's not quite as clear and crisp as it would be today. And I think it was taken with a digital camera Mm -hmm. and I was having trouble getting it right. And so I finally asked my husband, Derek, to come actually take it. So he's the one that actually took the picture, but I take credit for it because, you know, I was the one that (laughs) laid out the entire design. Anyway, so it first enters the world as just a picture. And you and I had just started our Twitter account. And you were encouraging me to try to use it <laughs> from time to time. Uh, and I said, well, what in the world am I going to put on there? And you said, I don't know, just post something about what you did with your day. And so I w- had just taken that picture. And I was like, OK, Tiffany wants me to post a Twitter every now and then. And so I made a post about it. And that is the post that went insane and it said something basically like interviewed a little girl today who feeds crows and gets gifts in return here's her collection with that picture and you might remember that all of a sudden your phone was just like a bling 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 and because i don't know it just it just flew everywhere just everywhere like almost instantly Definitely not something that I expected to have happen as a haphazard post. Yeah, and we only had about we only had a couple hundred followers. We had maybe three or five hundred followers at the most. If like, that. I don't even think we had that many. Yeah. 
because uh, we had just yeah, turned it on <laughs> that many and i'm like who yeah i don't know how in the world it reached so many people i don't i, I don't believe, understand how those things work i believe neil gaiman found it somehow and he reposted it and i think that's part of what no happened. way <laughs> yeah <laughs> if i remember hey, correctly that would work but then here's what's weird and I don't want to go too far down this road. We could do a whole different show about this. But here's what's weird about going viral. Since everybody out there in the world is trying to go viral, is that the minute it happens, at least when it happened to us, you lose control of it almost immediately. And what I mean by that is the very next thing that happened after it started going viral was that bad news organizations started using the picture and inventing a story, fully making it no. up. Just coming up with like fake facts about what this story could be. And I saw that and I'm like, what in the world? And then right after that, the BBC News contacted me and they wanted to know the real story behind this photograph. And luckily, I come from a journalistic background. I come from NPR and I said, I can write it. I'm the only one who knows the actual story. I'm the only person who's ever met this girl, you know. And I'm calling her mom and being like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to tell people her real name? Do you want me to just use her first name? And they decided to go with, she said that it was fine to use her full name. I don't know. I still don't know if that was the right decision. But anyway, so I wrote really quickly that day, wrote the story that if you were to look on the BBC News, the girl who gets gifts from crows is what it's called. That is the only true story. You'll find a lot of different versions of this story on the uh, interwebs. The only true story is on this podcast, on episode 51 and episode 67, and in the BBC News. Everything else is a ripoff. Now, <laughs> remind me, Katie, because it's been so long now that I'm I'm confused about the timing. You took the photo, you post the photo on Twitter. When does the episode come into it? And did you record the interview with her thinking that it would be an episode for this podcast or did you record it for another purpose because I honestly can't remember now I did record it with her not knowing what I was going to use it for but I did think that we would air it it was adorable it was like a great conversation she's a wonderful fun person to hear talk oh yeah I'm Gabby Gabriella that's my real name but you can call me Gabby if you want and but usually the crows call me nature girls so if you want that's my nickname. And I had also interviewed John Marsliff, this crow expert, about gift-giving crows. It's actually a very interesting way for people to bond with some of the nature around them and to build tolerance for other animals. So I think it's a good thing in, in that respect. And so I knew that I would, at the very least, put it on this show. And you this hadn't done so yet. I had barely done anything yet. Like, I had interviewed her, I had taken the picture, okay. and then I tweeted the picture out. Like, I hadn't even gone through all the tape yet. I see. But I, I didn't know, like, can I make this oh into gosh. something bigger for NPR? Or It ends up being on various places on NPR. Like, it was on the takeaway and other places. So it ends up becoming a, a different story that I moved around in different spots. But it's first on this show and then first on the BBC. BBC is the first article that's written about it. That's true. And then I was talking to a friend about this, and he said... Um, he said, yeah, it was almost like you were boogie boarding and then you got hit by a big wave. And I said, no, no, it was like being hit by a big wave while I'm on a boogie board and the boogie board goes with the wave. You know, like I, <laughs> it is now <laughs> launched into its own thing, you know, and everybody else is going to make it whatever they want it to be. And it was like a really mixed 
experience. Like, I don't know how much you remember about it, but it was a beautiful experience in the fact that like so many people made art about it. So many people. And they would send it to us on the show. Like we heard from musicians who wrote songs about it. I I saw a um, kind of a Japanese cartoon that came out of it. I can't even remember everything that people did. It was just endless, endless fount of creativity that came from this story. But it was also you know, a real lesson in how the internet will take things from you and make it their own. So it no long, the story no, story no mm-hmm. longer belonged to us. It belonged to whatever anybody wanted to do with it. The picture is copyrighted. I don't know that it's ever mattered that it was, you know, because everybody just sort of uses mm-hmm. it willy-nilly. And news outlets across the world published their own versions of it or published my article pretending they'd written it. You remember? Yeah, I, rem- I feel like some some really far flung places, Singapore. Like I don't remember where, it, but I just remember seeing it on places that were so far away. It was everywhere, everywhere. I used to have a running list of it, just out of curiosity's sake. It was three pages before I gave up. You know, of just like different names of different places where it it had appeared, three pages long before uh. I just was like, ah, well. <laughs> I don't really want to track this anymore. I remember you telling me that it appeared in the Italian newspaper and Claudio, your husband, had told you. I did see it. Yeah, told you that the guy writing yes. the article pretended that he was the one that did the interview with the little girl. I don't remember this, but I'm sure I'm sure it's true. I can't believe that. I mean, I, I can sadly believe that, but that's awful. That's I mean, awful. and that's what's so tricky when we talk about like news and how to figure out like where a thing comes from is that I got to see firsthand how much on the internet was not true in real time with magazines yeah. that I thought were very reputable, <laughs> you know, but because mm-hmm. I was the center of the story and Gabby, who I knew was the center of the story, I knew what was true and what was not true. And the thing that was the hardest for me was that there was a little girl in the midst of all this. And and she was great about it. Like, mm-hmm. she ended up on National Geographic. I don't even know where all she ended up. She was on TV a million times. <laughs> you know, and I kind of, like, ended up being the go-between between her and the media for over a year, in part because I felt responsible for protecting her from what could happen. You know, because she was... Mm-hmm. She was a Aurelio's age. Like, imagine being in the midst of a media firestorm at Aurelio's mm-hmm. age. And and she was so good about it. And her mother was so open about it. Her mother, like, go back and listen to episode 51 or 67. Her mother tells the lens cap story that everybody's so enamored with about the crow returning the lens cap. You can actually go hear it yourself. But her mother was also, like, very open. They were very giving to the media because they wanted people to experience the wonder that nature can provide and they thought like what better story than this to get people interested again mm-hmm. in the natural world and hopefully like start to care and notice of the environment around them and care for the creatures that are in the environment around them and so they took it all in stride very much like yes it is a good message everybody should hear this story and at great cost I think to them in some ways but, you know, it was sort of like mm. the the belief that the magic of this story would bring good in the world was bigger than what they had to go through as a result of this story going viral, which was some good things and some very not good things. And 
I think that uh, uh-huh. it's a testament to the story. I think that it keeps coming up that in a way, Lisa Mann, Gabby's mother, was correct that there is a magic in this story that keeps coming back, keeps coming back. And it's certainly something that we must need as people because, like I said, every three mm. years, that picture, this story, goes viral again. And sometimes it's the true story and sometimes it's a made-up story. But even still, there's something about the idea of it that is a magic that we need. And, and so that's been sort of interesting to watch, even though I wish the story belonged more to us. But, oh, well. <laughs> well, where is Gabby now? Because she must be... 17 16 or 17 by now i know i often get the question too is she still getting gifts from crows i don't know if she's getting gifts from crows she moved so she's not here anymore she's certainly not getting gifts from the crows here in seattle anymore because she's not here anymore she moved uh over to the east coast the last i talked to her mother which was probably a year or two ago now um she told me that she was, had become a very interesting, very wonderful teenager and that she was still extremely interested in science and the natural world and was, at that moment anyway, planning to pursue that for the rest of her life, that she would go into the wow. natural scientists and that she was still, both her and her brother, were both still strongly attuned to the creatures in the natural world around them. So I guess it kept on, you know, that kind of magical one-on-one experience just kept her curiosity going for the rest of her life so far. Well, I wouldn't be surprised because um, I think beyond, you know, just the the fact that crows sometimes do exhibit this behavior and it's not completely unknown, I think there's got to be something about that little girl. I'm sure you've heard stories of children and adults who have, who, who animals are not afraid of them. Mm-hmm. Just who have these relationships with animals, wild animals. I do think there are some really rare people out there who have something in them that animals recognize. Hmm. And they know this person isn't going to hurt me. This person, I can eat out of this person's hand. You know, you know, there are just some people like that. Hmm. And she probably is one of those people. And so it doesn't surprise me that she would want to go into that as a career. I wonder if this story will go viral enough times that eventually everyone will have heard it in some way or another and she will introduce herself at parties as i'm the girl who who got gifts from crows and everyone will know what that means i think we might already be there i hmm. i had the interesting experience <laughs> a month or two ago where i was meeting a a new neighbor a newish neighbor and he had been walking by and i was showing him around and he was explaining to me that he always feeds the crows and he actually does have a gift giving crow just like a few houses down from me and he was telling me about the gift that oh. he was getting and he was telling me about the story that he'd heard about you know <laughs> this little girl who gets gifts from crows and I was like yeah and Derek's like she knows a thing about that <laughs> you know <laughs> she knows a thing or two about that story <laughs> and then he goes you know, and then later on, I went to a party with the same neighbor, and he's like telling somebody else there. And here I am telling her about getting gifts from crows when she's the person who wrote about it in the first place. <laughs> like, how embarrassing! <laughs> but but no, truly, I have heard from people all over the place because it's not just from Seattle. People from all over the place know this story. 
Like, I could walk into a party hmm. probably anywhere and be like, does anybody here know a story about a little girl that gets gifts from crows? And probably, like, at least 50% of the people there would know it. It's insane mm-hmm. how big it's gotten. It really is. <laughs> it, it really is pretty interesting. And I don't know how many people will, will remember the name of Gabby Mann. I just certainly hope that she is okay with it when she gets to be an adult, you know, mm-hmm. because this story will forever be linked to her on the internet whenever you google her name yes that is true we all you know you do have to be cognizant of that when you put children or yourself out there but it's a pretty great thing to be known for i think so i hope she feels that way and i mean i certainly remember her very fondly we spent a lot of time together around this time you know and i hope that she remembers me fondly too and yeah, I don't know. So I guess that's that's the story behind the picture. If you haven't listened to the original interview with Gabby herself, which also includes a story of her mother having her lens cap returned to her by a crow, which she had lost, which is just a wonderful story within the story, go back to one of our earlier seasons. Uh, you can find episode number 51, which is just called Crows, and number 67, which is Crow Gifts. If you're on our Instagram, you can just click the link in our bio and there is a link to it there on our link tree. Or if you're on any of pretty much any podcast app, you can just go to our show, The Bittersweet Life Podcast, and within our show, just search for Crows and it will pop up. Yeah, and please subscribe to the show. Take a listen and see what other things in the world and in life that we are exploring. And tell a friend about it. I guess we'll leave it there for now. Go out there and notice some small creatures, please, and uh, see what other delights you can find. And if you notice anything fantastic, do let us know, because you know me. I love hearing animal, creature, bird stories. So you can always send us an email, bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. And again, hit the subscribe button so that you can find out what other discoveries we're making in the world. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Hi, I'm Giovanna from Ischia, Italy. I love The Bittersweet Life. I've been listening to it since 2014 when I was still living in London and working towards moving back to Italy. There are so many things that I love about the show, like I love the issues that Katie and Tiffany discuss, the people that they interview, and just the stories that they tell about themselves and all the places that they've lived and visited. Even though we've never met, they feel like friends to me and I love listening to them while I make dinner. I even reached out to them for advice one time when I was going through a difficult period as an expat and they dedicated a whole episode to my letter which really made me feel like they were hanging out in the kitchen and talking to me while I cooked. It was amazing, and they gave me like a lot of really good advice. What I really want to say, though, is that I've lived in a lot of places like Mexico City, New York City, London, Rome, and now Ischia, and I can relate and sympathize with a lot of their episodes. But I don't think you have to have lived abroad to enjoy this podcast. What they really talk about is how to live a fulfilling life, however that may look to you, and the difficulties and joys that come along with pursuing a path that maybe others don't expect of you. This podcast has been such a comfort to me all these years, and I'm so happy that it exists. Do you have a topic you want us to explore? 
Send your requests. We love to hear what you want to know. Visit thebittersweetlife.net and contact us with your questions, your adventures, your observations, your favorite episodes. We love hearing from you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast. Thank you.